and welcome to Talking Foosball Extra, the Yaustik edition, your source for all things Bundesliga 2 and German lower league football. On this episode, we're once again shining a light on how things aren't really what they seem like over at HSV. We're wondering what Alexander Zorninger has been putting in Kreuzer's tea, and we'll tell you all about a Kreisliga team that has more followers on Instagram than Werder Bremen and HSV. My name is Nick Wiltang, and I'm delighted to be joined by one of Bremen's best and finest Instagrammers. I am, of course, talking about the Instagram legend, Jasmine Barber. That's so nice of you. I hardly think about my Instagram. <laughs> and yet, you are a legend. <laughs> Anyways, uh, if one wants to gloat about things going incredibly badly for HSV on a regular basis on a podcast. One does need a St. Pauli fan on ours over the last year and a half has been Mike Krikemeyer. How are you doing, Mike? Yep, I'm doing fine. Thanks, Nick. Glad to be here and looking forward to the show. Great. We'll be back in just a gif with all the latest from the Bundesliga 2. Part one of Talking Foosball Extra, the Aufstieg edition, and let's start with, well, uh, I'm a Werder Bremen fan, Mike is a St. Pauli fan, so our favorite topic, naturally, is HSV. Hooray! They're great. They're great. <laughs> you know, like uh, Donald Trump press conference. So HSV, you know, they sort of have turned things around, uh, it seemed, this weekend. They won 4-2 against Sandhausen which meant that they are going to stay in second over the long, long, long winter break. But, you know, in the aftermath of that win, there were actually a couple of stories that came out that actually made things look slightly more chaotic for them, as they always do at HSV. So, uh, Jasmine, why don't you pick one of those two stories and explain what happened? Yeah, so I think quite surprisingly, because we haven't had a good, I say good, I mean interesting, doping story in a while. And it turns out, news came out, that Vuskovic, their central defender, had been banned for doping. It's very early in like the investigation. Apparently, he came positive up for the substance called... Oh, I'm not going to do this, <laughs> this name any justice. Erythropoietin, also known under the short form EPO, which is good for people who can't speak like me, during um, one of their drug tests. They're really surprised of this. The club is, um, they said in a statement, and the second they knew, they took him out of training and for games just to make sure there was no further damage to him and the club. So far, everything's been compliant, so none of their results so far are at risk. And uh, some of the things that have come out about being tested positive for this substance is that apparently that you need to go like quite a few times to get this substance if you're receiving it and doping so he would have been away from training a lot so either the club would have known or it's more to be the case that it's naturally occurring and because it's injected doping he would have like scratches like pin marks on his arm, which they would have realized. So again, it's probably not 
either the club knows about it or it's naturally occurring, which can happen with people who are sick and some people have higher levels. So there's not much information at the time, but we'll just have to see. They're sending off the second sample, testing the second sample that they have to figure it out for the moment. But yeah, for the moment, Hamburg have lost a really good defender. Well, I mean, in cycling, these levels are closely monitored so same goes for, for instance, cross-country skiing and other endurance sports. But in the world of football, out-of-contest testing is really a rare occasion. After a Bundesliga match or Bundesliga 2 match, I think it's two players from each team that are tested. Yeah. With uh, potentially 16 players who played, your chances of being tested are one-eighth. So slightly higher than 10%, but a lot lower than 20 So... As some authors like Thomas Kistner have pointed out, that it actually is the fact that if you wanted to dope within football and wanted to get away with it, you actually stand a lot higher chances within football than you do in other sports. You know, having said that, if there are high levels on a natural basis, the National Anti-Doping Agency in Germany wouldn't have any knowledge of that because they probably have never tested the guy before. Or maybe only once or twice over the course of the last couple of years. Which speaks to the fact that on a more general basis, you could say that football has a problem in monitoring its own players. And, uh, you know, um, that might actually be the biggest thing that this uh, case is actually showing. Having said that, uh, you know, I think I think there are a lot of other other things that uh, are problematic within the world of football in terms of the drug use that is legal, especially NSAIDs, because those are popped out like smarties in, in, in locker rooms, according to former pro Nevin Subotic. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of problematic areas here and uh, a lot of room to get away with stuff that you shouldn't be able to get away with. Anyways... That is that. Mike, what's the other story? Maybe we should add some consequences uh, that might happen for him. Because if they open up the B probe, and they do, of course, and he will stay positive and there are no other explanations for it, he will be banned for at least two years, probably four years, which, of course at his age and at this point in his career would be a disaster for him as well as for HSV. HSV got uh, a transfer offer for 10 million euros in the summer. Then they did not accept it. The contract is running until 2025. And as they need, and we will come back to that uh, in the next bullet point, but as they need to uh, rebuild the stadium for approximately 30 million euros until the European Championship in 2024. They are desperately looking for money and I'm sure that they do have a transfer profit of Mayo Vuskovic in the next summer uh, on their list. And this is not going to happen if he is banned for doping. So uh, yeah, entertaining weeks ahead of us, I think. Right. So how are HSV finances since you brought up the topic? <laughs> they are great, of course, as always. For the first time since 
well, I assume 1887, <laughs> they do have a profit of 1 million euros uh, for the last season. And yeah, they are really happy about this. And there is an article in the kicker who praised them for that. And everything is, the sun is shining and everything is so fantastic at HSV. Okay, on the other hand, they got a 23 million help from the state of Hamburg uh, one year ago. I think it's not included in this um, in, in, in this amount. Uh, but without that, they wouldn't have been able to cover all the transfers and the, the financial situation would be a lot worse. And of course, it also doesn't take into consideration that they need to do this 30, 40 million rebuild of the stadium until the European Championship. So if you read that article in Kicker, well, you shouldn't take that as the whole truth. Um, there, there are some more details to this and the financial situation at HSV is not as good looking as they would like you to believe. Well, anyways, if you travel to the European Championship in 2024, the city of Hamburg will welcome you to uh, the Klaus Michael Kühne Stadion. Anyways, moving on, uh, we do have a Herbstmeister in the Bundesliga 2, and it's uh, Egg on FaceTime for me. <laughs> and for me, yeah. And for Jasmine. We were all wrong. <laughs> because we predicted, or at least I did, uh, that uh, Thorsten Lieberknecht was going to be goner by this winter. That Darmstadt didn't replace the players that they lost adequately, and that they... You know, weren't going to be at the top half of the table like they were last season, and uh, here we are, one loss in seventeen matches. Damn! How how did we get here? Honestly, I'm not quite sure. If anyone <laughs> who's watched Darmstadt games, they will know that it hasn't been plain sailing as their results seem. I don't know how to really put it. It just Sometimes it looks like they're always going to draw. As I predicted the other day against Magdeburg, it, it just seems like it was going to be a nil-nil draw. And I predicted on Twitter that this is going to end up in, Pad in Paddy Pfeiffer scoring a set-piece goal to make it a win-one-nil. And that is exactly what happened around eight minutes later after I sent that tweet. Their play is a lot more boring compared to last year. It takes a lot more time for them to figure out their opponents. They're a lot more defensively based than last year. Goals aren't flowing as much as last year either. And I went to dig a little bit deeper, and especially when it comes to like goals conceded, shots conceded, and XG, all of those little things, it kind of matches what we're seeing. They're better in defence, but only slightly, but they're still only sixth in the league on expected goals conceded, or allowed, sorry, and they're seventh on XG. So it does feel like the curse of Herbmeister, obviously the last five Herbmeisters have failed to be promoted, and... Also, apparently 40% of Herbmeisters throughout Bundesliga 5 history have failed to go up too. So it's a long-running, like, bad juju to be Herbmeister. And uh, Hamburg are probably a little bit glad, seeing as the last five, three of them, 
three of the last five times was there that they are not first ones. So yeah, I don't know how Darmstadt do it. I love the team, obviously. But yeah, I feel like this bad curse might rear its ugly head again. Well, now that we predicted Darmstadt to go under by by (laughs) Christmas and they haven't, let's predict that they will until the summer and see how we fare this time around. I mean, what's the definition of insanity? Quickly, quickly, quickly. Doing the same things, expecting a different result. Correct. One of the teams that actually held them to a draw was Greuterford. And uh, now Greuterford we talked about because they suddenly found out that once Mark Schneider had turned things around ever so slightly, taking four points out of two matches, they said, well, great, you have started to reach the team, you've started to produce results, goodbye, because we have someone bigger and better, and that one man was Alexander Zorninger. And uh, my immediate reaction was, well, great, here comes RB Football, you know, the Matt Hatter version of RB Football. <laughs> Not, you know, the controlled you know, sort of Jesse Marsh approach. It's, you know, the one from the insane asylum of RB Football. <laughs> but mere culpa so far, it has worked. <laughs> Three wins, one draw. And funnily enough, when you hear the name Alexander Zorni, you think, mm, yes, right, uh, leading 4-1, losing 7-4. That kind of thing. But so far, in those four matches, there have been a total of five goals. Which, to be zoning a football, if you look down on the stats on the average goals per game at its earlier stages, that doesn't add up. So, what has happened here? What has happened? How come that Greuterford suddenly, A, start winning many, many matches? Ten points from four matches is pretty much the best stint so far this season. And B, how come that Alexander Zorniger doesn't ship goals left, right, and center anymore? Coincidence? No, the teams he played were shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, Bielefeld, Braunschweig, which Braunschweig are better, but a lot of them have played into Zorniger's game plan, and then Zorniger's team have just have to sit back and try and do their game plan again. I think Darmstadt's harder to analyse because they went down to 10 men and basically just shut up shop. Um, But an interesting thing that we say in football is that when you have a new coach, you have to give it around eight games for the old coach's tactics to properly leave the team and the new one to settle in. So I wonder if this is actually the doing of the like the more recent Mark Schneider and not Zorniger yet. So we'll see against the actual gritty teams, the Kaiserslautens, maybe even the Nürnbergs of this season and Regensburg, for instance, to see how they really do and how they perform after the break when Zorniger's tactics really settle in. But for now, they do look quite impressive. Um, Maybe not impressive is the word, but they look like they can actually win a game, which Mark Schneider could not do. Mike, what were your immediate thoughts on Greuterford going forward then? Do you think that they actually can't be a threat going forward under Alexander Zorniger, or is it going to be, you know, mid-table mediocrity under this new manager? 
Well, at least I didn't expect them to be this brilliant with Zoniger, so I agree with you. But um, <laughs> the, I, I think there's one name which stands out, and this is uh, Amindu Zeep, 19-year-old guy coming from Bayern Munich 2 in the summer. And he was the goal scorer in all these three 1-0 wins against Bielefeld, Braunschweig and HSV. And I think this is just extraordinary for, for such a young player to have this role. Yeah, in the end, of course, a new trainer, you know, it all often has such an effect on teams, especially if they are in relegation battle. Yeah, let's see how they come out of the winter break. They start in Kiel, then they do have the derby against Nuremberg. Let's wait and see. I, I don't expect them to get into a promotion race, but uh, they, they are too strong to get into relegation zone again, I think. A uh, little fun fact about Armandinho Zeep. Uh, do, you, do you know his first club? Was he up for before? No. No, he, he was from Bayern Youth. I don't know where he was before that. Motor Halle, which is an East German club. So uh, finally, <laughs> East German striker tearing up the Bundesliga 2 once again. It's been so long since Ronnie Koenig did that back in the day for Erzgebirge Hour. Anyways, let's do our quick fire storylines before we knock this segment on the head. Jasmine, what topic comes to your mind? I'm going to say Paderborn's fall from grace. Paderborn, who were really challenging for promotion around like four weeks ago, have now been on one of the worst runs in the league along with Karlsruhe. One draw and four losses, four consecutive losses, um, which takes them down to six, uh, seven points of the playoff and eight points of automatic promotion. Don't know what's really gone on there. They they started so well and they've completely just... Since the DFB Pokal match against Werder Bremen, maybe the fourth official isn't there to save them from their second Bundesliga games. <sighs> <laughs> that no, no, that was a bit catty, uh, I have to say. It's the last day. This is the last record of the year. I we think, need well. to get out the verbal aggression. I I would agree. <laughs> Anyways, talking about things that would make you aggressive, Mike. I, I actually want to suggest a bet between me and you. Okay. You always say that Heidenheim isn't going up. Uh, I I'm not that strict on this. Y- you might be. And Zantausen isn't going down. Yeah, that's correct. And that's for sure. So what if both were to happen? Say Heidenheim managed to get into the top three and Zantazen are going down. Would you sing Hamburg Meine Perle on this podcast? <laughs> I would offer to sing um, HSV Du bist meine Frau. Oh. Oh. Great. I take you up on that offer if that is going to happen. <laughs> Again, for, for only if both things happen or... If both even... things happen, yes. Okay, I'm... Yeah, Sandhausen won't go down, so no no worries. I think it's Heidenheim that goes up as well, but I think that will definitely happen. <laughs> and I'm the witness to this. I've seen this deal being made. There's no getting out of this. All right, cool. Anyways, uh, one last thing, uh, talking about going up, um, Heidenheim are, you know, currently in the best form of all sides in the Bundesliga 2, but there's another side alongside that, and that is Kaiserslautern under Dirk Schuster. Talk about some, you know, defensive Darmstadt football. Now we've got two defensive Darmstadt sides in the league, and one of them is Kaiserslautern. 
Dirk Schuster does have some experience taking his side from the Dritte Liga to the Bundesliga because he's done so before with, well, you guessed it, Darmstadt. Now, uh, since he's taken over Kaiserslautern and he took them over during the playoffs, for crying out loud, uh, which was really a surprising call because Marco Antwerp was the coach who actually managed to get Kaiserslautern into the top three in the Dritte Liga after so, so, so many years in that division. But he was sacked shortly before the two playoff matches. Now that Dirk Schuster managed to take over the side and get them to the Bundesliga 2, they pretty much have only lost, I think, two games. Incredibly hard to beat, and if you look at the stats, they should actually be better off in terms of points, because one problem they have had in a certain amount of matches is that they haven't been great at finishing their chances. A little bit more effective in front of goal, and suddenly, these guys... Yeah. So... Keep your eyes peeled for that. This is it for part one of uh, Talking Foosball Extra, the Ashley edition. We'll be back in part two with all the latest from the lower leagues. Yes, we're back again, and uh, well, guys, Jasmine, Mike, quick question. What are you going to do in November, December? Any plans? Any plans? Rest. Sure, I will go to... Oh, no way. I will go to watch the FC St. Pauli women team next Sunday uh, when they play in TSG Burg Gretesch, which is more or less in Osnabrück. It sounds fascinating, like proper honest football and you know we do we do like a bit of honest football and uh so do a lot of ultra groups in germany jasmine you know is, is there anything else going on football wise than, than women's football or the league of football you know mm-hmm. any, anything in my mind not really although there's been a slight decision that has been made that means i have to keep an eye on maybe one player that's going to something called the World Cup, but apart from that, not really. <laughs> right, and uh, well, when it comes to the World Cup, which is played in a country called Qatar, I don't know if you've, if you've heard about you know, the World Cup going to Qatar and th- that being an outrage. Some of the fan groups all around Germany have been protesting quite a bit of late and have been doing so for quite a while, actually, and... Uh, you know, we haven't mentioned any of those protests so far on this show, but, you know, let's let's highlight a couple of these protests from last weekend to show you what some of the banners and some of the protests have looked like. So, Jasmine, why don't you start with uh, one of your favourite ones? Ooh, I really liked the Athens Exit Munich one, because not only did they come with the banners that we've been seeing of Boycott Qatar, I really liked their very somber messaging over it as well like the every seat in our stadium represents a dead person which is drawing awareness to how many workers died in Qatar and also the kind of leaflets that they've passed around to inform people of why they should boycott Qatar which I think a lot of the boycotts as good and as eye-catching as that they are, there are quite a few people, rightly or wrongly, who don't know exactly why they should and have not seen maybe much of the news or the things that have gone on about it. And a lot of education is needed as well as with emotional wording to persuade. 
So I really like that from the Atkins Exit fans because I think it did it really well to say why both are the problems. And then they also um, expressed their concerns over German police and incidents along with that. So how everything is a threat and why that why you should do more in these kind of social issues regarding the World Cup and regarding football in Germany and I think that's really well done. Quick shout out to uh, their counterparts in the Schickeria Munich who um, are friends of St. Pauli and you know we usually don't cover the Bundesliga or Bayern Munich because they play in a completely different division than the clubs we usually talk about but the Schickeria have been really critical of that World Cup and uh, their club's ties to Qatar because obviously Bayern München are sponsored by a Qatari airline uh, which has paid an exorbitant amount of money to get the name on the sleeve certainly what you would consider sports washing Karls Rummenigge once returned with a couple of Rolex watches from Qatar which he was given by a friend, a friend, you know, not being the T-boy who says, you know, placing a World Cup in Qatar was a good idea, like he's done over the last 10 years. Wasn't for that. But um, what was for, he hasn't really told anyone so far and doesn't seem to be really keen on doing so either. But be that as that may, uh, Mike, do, do you pick up any other protests this weekend? I won't pick up a certain protest. I would just like to encourage you, instead of watching football on television, go to your local football club around the corner, watch some amateur level uh, grassroots football, watch your women team, whatever, or just go outside, kick a ball yourself, play with your kids, do whatever you want. There are better things to do than watching this World Cup. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, pick up smoking. <laughs> don't take up smoking. Any, don't take up smoking. Anything is fucking go to Christmas markets. Anything is better. That's what oh, I'll be yeah. doing. I mean, now let's turn to the Julius Hirsch Award. And, and that is Changing <laughs> topics also slightly. Yeah. The Julius Hirsch Award. Who won it? And what's the background for the award? Can you tell me about that, Mike? Yeah, well, first of all, the Julius Hirsch Award is named after Julius Hirsch, of course. He was a Jewish football player of Germany uh, who was uh, killed in Auschwitz in World War II. And the the award is uh, given by the DFB for, I don't know, 10 years or something like this. For example, the FC St. Pauli Fan Project also have won it. Uh, I, I think the Schickeria has won it some years ago uh, because they do have, uh, I forgot the name, that they do have an annual tournament and one of their former uh, chairmen. So everyone who is involved, especially when it comes to fight anti-Semitism, can apply for this prize. And in this year, it's awarded to Burak Yilmaz, Burg Yulmas is uh, someone from Duisburg, 35 years old, and he is very, very active when it comes to fight anti-Semitism. In his hood, he, he works in a youth uh, project in Duisburg, and some years ago, four young people got in there and made the Hitler salute and shouted to him, we are anti-Semites, you can't do nothing on that and made fun of him so uh, this encouraged him to yeah 
get more impact uh, to get more involved in fighting anti-semitism and he brought up a project which is called muslims in auschwitz and he gets to auschwitz once a year with a group of young muslims and yeah well he he was also uh, awarded a prize from frank walter steinmeier uh, the bundesverdienstorden so one of the highest medals you can get in germany for social courage and um, um, he's the one who got this prize this year and uh, it's it's well deserved if you want to have a read on his project he published a book in 2021 it's called Ehrensache kämpfen gegen Judenhass so I doubt that there is an English version available but he explains how he fights hate against Jewish people in that book and yeah it's it's a very good price I really love every single year that the DFB takes some action in this process and yeah, well-deserved for Borak Yilmaz. Yes, and this is actually one of the few good things that the DFB does and one of the few good things that we would like to commend them for. I mean, we could talk and talk and talk and, you know, to, to the name Kai Dietmeier has just been up in the German news once again and in regards of Zeb Blatter and the DFB. Uh, less said about that, the better... Anyways, let's turn our focus to something completely different once again. And let's go all the way down to the Kreisliga C, Staffel 4 in Berlin, where we have a certain team called Delay Sports. Now, they are drawing crowds that certain sides in the Dritte Liga and the fourth tier could only dream about. So how does a tiny club from Berlin with basically only two teams, two active playing teams, do that? I mean, how, how can they draw bigger crowds than many, many other sides that are considered to be professional? It's the world of content, the world of influencers, the world of TikTok, the Generation Zers, and I can't go on more than that. <laughs> yeah, correct. They uh, just... Uh, collected some players who are very very famous on social media either because they do play FIFA on Twitch or they do have an Instagram account or a TikTok account or whatever and some of them also do play a very good football and uh, yeah that then they they founded this team started in the lowest division this year and as all these influencers advertise these games they attract these huge crowds for that league. And of course, uh, yeah, to run through that Kreisliga C Staffel 4 in Berlin, you don't need to play excellent football. So it's really easy for them to be top of the table at the moment. I know they uh, do cause a lot of issues also for the other teams uh, because they are not used to have some stewards at their game uh, they are not used to collect money from the spectators yeah it is good for for those teams to collect some money but it's also um, not that easy to handle this <laughs> well anyways uh, as, as you said it's yes gen c and uh yes i do hate kids but anyways uh, these guys <laughs> have actually managed to get more instagram followers than hsv and Verder. Which, you know, is, um, just goes to show how screwed up social media can be. I mean, you've got 
you know, certain people who do, I don't know, play FIFA on their Instagram account or on their TikTok or whatever. And the influence that they're yielding is uh, actually so great that they can outcompete big professional entities that's been around for over 100 years on social media. And I think it's not being helped by, like, anything. We had earlier um, in preseason, was it her to Berlin preseason friendly when they had that influencer and all the crowd kept like, just messing up the game? But also it's not being helped by media entities who have relied on this type of content instead of, you know, journalism or storytelling or anything truthful. But so, for instance, um, the other week on Sky Sports News Deutschland, they had Jeremy Fragrance, who, for anyone who doesn't know who he is, he is a German influencer, but he's known for um, his obsession and his knowledge of fragrances, perfumes and aftershaves and so forth. So a very entertaining man and he openly said he wouldn't be watching the game on Sky Sports that he was asked to predict. In Sky Sports England they've done a similar thing. They brought on someone called Speed who has millions of followers. An American who keeps on saying Chelsea's a country in England and yeah it, it's this sort of content has taken precedent in some media and this is the domino effect we're getting of people saying, ah, we can monetize on this, we can be famous, etc, etc. So, yeah, several roots of why this has happened can be found. Um, yeah, and it's not all Gen Zs. There's obviously a pathway for them that has been made. So, yeah, but it's very, very... Uh, fucked up how this happens yeah you seem upset but you know when when you tell me about these two gentlemen i think god i wish i could you know go on a cruise with them and you know share share a room with them for you know 16 weeks straight on the atlantic on the pacific indian ocean and just you know get to know these gentlemen talk about fragrances and Chelsea being in Chelsea because that, yeah, obviously that's Chelsea being a country in London. There is a video where he's calling all the teams countries in London, or in, in countries in England. Jeremy Fragrance is I is very entertaining though, not for sport. I would not get him on Sky Sports Deutschland for obvious reasons, but for his own content, yeah, fair enough. Just stop mixing these two and not getting people where they're not needed. And causing all these problems because it's very annoying. Yes, so let's move on from that. And Mike, can you save us with a hard-hitting news story? <laughs> yeah, it's not that funny, unfortunately. <laughs> um, we... laughing. <laughs> yeah, you might have heard of HFC Falke. That's a club founded by some HSV supporters some years ago when the HSV sold their soul to uh, Klaus Michael Kühne and uh, they they are grassroots football from the very heart and they founded this club in started in the lower leagues without any uh, social media uh, followers and in the beginning at least and at the moment they do play in the Bezirksliga that let me think I think 
two, three leagues under Regionalliga, so it must be seventh league more or less. And there they, among others, also play against the third team of FC St. Pauli. They, they also met other St. Pauli teams in the last couple of years, and I know it's always very emotional from both sides. We also had some hooligan uh, activities uh, in one of the games some years ago, and of course both teams are not at all interested in that, so... I think at that time it was St. Pauli 4 and not St. Pauli 3. Well, it's very emotional. This weekend they played St. Pauli 3. St. Pauli 3 at the moment is top of the league. HFC Falke is 5th or something like this. And they won at home 3-0. But the news was that some one St. Pauli player hit his opponent, and this was someone who was not involved at the game at the moment, so it was a uh, substitute player who was warming up beside the pitch, and he was hit very hard and uh, has an injury to his, well, what is it in English, eye hole? Eye socket and uh, concussion, wasn't it? Yeah, eye socket, right. He needed to go to the hospital and there will be a surgery, I think, today or tomorrow. Of course, this, this player was immediately expelled uh, and suspended and there were two others who are involved from both teams also suspended. And as all the other from both teams acted very, very calm. They were able to finalize the game. And like I said, in the, in the end, Falke won 3-0. I heard at least that all other officials from the St. Pauli team acted in a very good way. They were really ashamed of that. They, they excused them for all these actions by that player. Uh, but of course, this is nothing you would like to happen in, not in football, not anywhere else. So it's a shame. Quickly about HFC Falke. Uh, what, what kind of rap do they have in Hamburg? Uh, are they a popular team? <sighs> well, they, they do play in the Bezirksliga. You can't be that popular. Uh, they do. Unfortunately, they, they also struggle with finding a home ground. So at the moment, they do play at the Vogt-Kölnstraße, which are just two artificial grass pitches with... Uh, I think they play on the lower ground, and that's the one with two or three stairs on one side of the pitch, but you can't create an atmosphere there. They still struggle with finding a home ground. And if they manage, they might have bigger attendances. But at the moment, it's, I don't know, 100 people per game. Um, so when they started uh, some years ago, they attended bigger crowds. Yeah, but not at the moment. And I think... The enthusiasm that they had when they started, it's not quite there anymore. Well, I mean, there's a Hamburg team that probably needs to generate some money in going by the fact that they have to, you know, renovate a stadium for 30 million euros. So maybe they can rent a stadium there mm -hmm. <laughs> for cheap money. Every Everything helps. Time to do a little bit of ground-topping advice. And from what you've jotted down in the script, I see that you have picked one of my favorite places. Ooh, well, yeah, I would encourage all of you to go to Freiburg. And um, I've been there some weeks ago when St. Pauli played there in the Cup. 
at the Europa Park Stadium. I would not recommend to go there. So of course you can do that, but it's just one ground like all the others, more or less. I would like to encourage you to go to the Dreisamstadion. This is the ground that SC Freiburg played until they opened the Europa Park Stadion. And you still have the chance to go there by visiting either their second team who play in the third league or you watch the women team who play in the first division and in the Bundesliga. And um, yeah, you can go there. The, the capacity is 24,000. It was built in 1954, I think. And it's, of course, called after the river Dreisam. And it's a beautiful walk from the city center to get there. And yeah, take your time, give it a visit. Freiburg actually excellent place for some beer because it's a student town, which means there are loads and loads and loads of great pubs. And a little fun fact on the side. The Dreisamstadion, Steve B actually had other criterias for stadiums because the pitch at the Dreisamstadion is actually, I think, a little bit too short. Yeah, it's too short. 4.5 meters. Yeah, that's the thing. It was too short for the Bundesliga. So Freiburg had to have a sort of an exemption clause uh, from the DFB in order to get a Bundesliga license, in order to get to play there. That would later on be granted by the DFL once the DFL took over after it was established. But yeah, and that means that it's a really sort of very intimate, cozy place because a playing field is pretty much the shortest you'll find in German football. Anyways, uh, I think this is it for another edition of Talking Foosball Extra, the Aufstieg edition. My name is Nick Biltagen. This episode has been produced by Aiden Rantoul. Guys, uh, Mike, Jasmine, uh, tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Cru, and you can find my work on the Milan Tour. Jasmine? You can find me on Twitter, if it's still running by the time this goes out, at underscore Jasmine Barber. I've done a recent podcast for DW, and I have really great guests with uh, Liverpool's Peter Klavitz and Werder Bremen's Clemens Fritz. So please give that a listen. It's all about German tactics throughout, yeah, German football. Excellent stuff. Well, anyways, uh, this is it for 2022 for Talking Foosball Extra, the Aufstieg edition. We'll try to be there for you during the World Cup. It's not going to be about World Cup football if you hear my voice because I'm not going to watch that tournament. But yes, make sure to you know follow us on Twitter at TalkingFoosball. You guys actually have sent in a few great ideas our way on Patreon. So if you join us on Patreon, you will also get a little bit of extra content coming up during the World Cup season. So I advise you to do that. Well, until next time, it is goodbye for now. Merry Christmas! 